Hello, everybody, and welcome into the latest episode of the Eye on the Tigers podcast here at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I'm Ben Fredrickson, joined, as always, by Dave Matter from the Columbia Bureau. Plenty to talk about this week, Dave, as we break down Missouri's big win over LSU. Eli Drinkwitz gets his first signature win as the coach of the Tigers. Um, also, some news as the Missouri's follow-up game against Vanderbilt has been rescheduled. Um, we'll dig into the details of that and uh, look at what's ahead for the Tigers now, not playing until they head to Florida to face the Gators in the Swamp. All that and more on this week's edition. First off, man, uh, how are things in Columbia? How's it going after uh, after a big win that couldn't really be celebrated the way that it normally would? That was kind of the, the downside of this whole thing. Yeah, it is kind of a shame. Um, you, you wonder, like, I know LSU was 17th. They're not going to be ranked, or they're not ranked anymore. You wonder if that was a full house, if uh, – if students would have run on the field and taken down the goalpost or anything like that. I mean, they still were the defending national champions. They were 14 point favorites. So uh, yeah, you don't get to, like Jim Sterk said the other day, what, what he's most frustrated about is he gets Alabama, LSU and Georgia at home this year and he can't capitalize it with uh, on ticket sales. Right. So, uh, and, and he's got a pretty attractive team now, at least one that's more entertaining, more interesting. So yeah, it is kind of a shame that it happens in a year like this, but you know, you still got to play the games and make the most of it. Look at that game, and there's a million ways to, to break down this game. It seems like the discussion nationally is one of, well, this is LSU not being very good. You know, and have now lost two of their first three games. You know, they've lost a ton of their roster. This game was crazy because they had to move it from Baton Rouge to Columbia. And all these things are true. But also being mentioned in the conversation, at least should be, is the fact that Missouri was without three of its top receivers and uh, two of its key defensive linemen in the game due to COVID um, issues and and also injuries that had happened. It wasn't like Missouri was rolling into this game with a full head of steam. Right. You know, and I think what kind of amplifies that narrative on LSU being bad is what's happened to Mississippi State since then. I mean, they've, they've looked terrible since beating LSU. So it just kind of adds another layer to, wow, Ed Orgeron has all this talent, at least recruiting talent, and they can't really play. And that kind of takes away from Missouri's performance. But I, I think here, you know, in Columbia and St. Louis and around the state, the talk is much more about Drinkwitz and the job his team did. And I was really impressed with the coaching job him and his staff did, considering all that adversity, um, losing those guys. I mean, they make a case that they – and definitely at receiver – they played better with these unheralded backups in the game. Um, part of it, I think, had to do with, you know, Basilak was really good getting them the ball. They didn't drop a single pass all day. This D-line was, um, you know, they just patched together some guys that play that normally are part of the rotation. But, um, you know, they played heavy, heavy minutes. And, you know, those guys barely left the field. They essentially – played five guys along the, the front and rotated one of them out at a time. And, you know, they LSU had no interest in running the ball. And when they tried, they didn't do a very good job. So, and, and those guys got decent pressure. They didn't really get the sack numbers, but I thought they got some decent pressure at times. And, you know, then they were responsible for that goal line stand at the end of the game. So, you know, it, it takes good coaching to be able to prepare your players like that and give them ready mentally, physically, and the X's and O's and all of that. So, Drinkwood's in the staff. I think they deserve a ton of credit for that game. Oh, I think so from, from start to finish, right? The beginning of the game, Drinkwood's pulls out the stops, puts two quarterbacks on the field, direct snap to Larry Roundtree, 
We saw flea flickers and, and reverse passes and shovel passes. And you just got the impression early on that Missouri kind of had embraced the fact that it was an underdog in this game and that it had, it had decided to play the game with, with nothing held back. And, you know, that, that, that I think is a really – that's a coaching thing, is to inspire your players through play calling and, and give them confidence that when you throw that flea flicker for a touchdown, you go, hey, maybe, maybe we can beat these guys. And I think we saw that team's confidence level grow over the course of the game. And then on the flip side, at the end of the game, where Drinkwitz could have looked at a defense that had allowed 479 yards – and said, look, I don't trust this defense that I don't coach and I don't call the play for is to win us the game. Um, I'm going to, you know, basically ask them to either let LSU score so we can have the ball last, or that would have been a little extreme, but at least call those two timeouts that he was sitting on to try to right. give his offense more time in case LSU did score to drive down the field and at least have a shot at what would have theoretically been a game-winning field goal. But instead, Drinkwood says, you know what? No, we're going to sit on, uh, you know, we're going to sit on our timeouts. This defense has been perfect on third downs, and we're going to, you know, they had done a good job of bending but not breaking. And sure enough, they stopped the 10th the and final third down conversion, the tenth, and then stop a fourth down conversion from all inside the one. LSU, two rushes, two passes at the one-yard line in a fourth, in a, in a goal line stand that's got to go down in Mizzou history as being a, a pretty memorable one. Um, so I thought – more so than just in the moment play calling, there was kind of play calling here that will probably build confidence in this team as a team moving forward. Ryan Walters know Drinkwitz has his, has his back now. The defense knows – the defense and the offense are on the same page and pull in the same direction. You know as well as I do, there are sometimes when college football teams kind of almost are two teams, offense right. and defense. This, I think, was probably a team-building win as much as anything. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wondered I, – I thought to myself, like, how would have Barry, Barry Odom – as a defensive coach called um, that final minute there, you know, would he have been calling timeout to sort of micromanage his defense and, Hey, let's get in this look and let's do this and make sure they're doing this. Where as Drinkwitz later explained, like all you do when you call timeout is you give the team that's behind more time to um, move their guys in the best position that they want them. Um, you, you, you decrease the stress level on the sideline that is under the most stress because they're behind LSU's behind on the scoreboard. They're looking up, they're counting every second down because they need every second. And when you call timeout, you're in his, in his viewpoint, you're doing them a favor. I say, Hey, chill out, calm down. Now I get to get the right play in, get a couple plays in because you may not get it on first or second down. Uh, so the way he looked at it, like, Hey, um, let's not give them that extra time. They're the ones that have to score here and, and catch up. Um, and again, it's a big, it's a big, hate. It's, it's a, it's a message down to your defensive coordinator. Hey, Ryan, I believe in your group. Um, you've, you've been okay today. Not great, but hey, go ahead and win this game. And then there's no pressure on Missouri's offense to go out and have to go 75 yards to score. They might've been able to do it. Um, but you know, you, you don't have to, if, if, uh, if you just make a few stops there. So you, you credit those guys for making those stops, not just the Bolton and the Bledsoe play that Adam Sparks tackle to keep him out of the end zone at the one yard line was huge too. I mean, cause it's a completely different story if he gets in and then Missouri is playing from behind all of a sudden. So everything went Missouri's way down the stretch and they, they deserve credit for it. I mean, they, they kind of forced the issue there. Let's talk a little bit about this offense. There's really kind of three things we got to hit on. And, and one, the lead item has got to be Connor Basilak. I mean, this young man has 
has broken out of a quarterback competition to be the clear starter now for this Tigers football team. Goes 29 for 34 for 406 yards. He throws four touchdown passes. He did not have one interception. At one point, he completed 15 consecutive passes, um, completions without a, without a drop or incompletion. He had a passer rating of something like 230. It was absurd. Now, this LSU pass defense has some problems, um, we're learning. But still, this was a remarkable performance by a young guy who, let's not forget, Dave, his eligibility is frozen this year right. <laughs> due to the circumstances. He could be around for a long time. It sure seems like the Tigers have their, their quarterback of the future now. Yeah, I, I was so impressed by him. And we talk about his calm in the pocket. I mean, nothing rattles this guy. I mean, you talk to him after the game, you wouldn't have known that they won just by his demeanor. It is uh, – boy, he's, he's got to be just a coach's dream because he, he, the, the pulse is never going to get too high for him. And uh, he's so accurate with the ball. He's got such a good arm. Um, you wouldn't know that he's coming off, like, major knee surgery because he's, he's not a runner out there, but he doesn't look – compromised at all by any means um teammates seem to really you know love playing with him because he's just even keel you know all those cliches about guy that's just not very excitable out there and again he's just a redshirt freshman i mean just it's his first home start first start of the season he's played a little bit but not a whole lot and he looks like he's been doing it for years out there it is funny you think about it next year 2021 he'll be a junior in college still be a redshirt freshman eligibility wise um, so yeah, it, it looks like they've got a guy locked down for a long time. Um, that, that's not to say he won't have some struggles, you know, as they face better defenses, you know, I don't, he's not going to throw for 400 yards against Georgia. Um, but they're in a really good space right now. I mean, if, if you would have known they had a, a lockdown quarterback who's winning SEC weekly awards going into this season, people would have felt a lot better about Missouri. Maybe not put that over under at three. Uh, it just seems like having a quarterback just solves so many issues and, and um, just alleviates all kinds of stress that, that you have about a season. The, the talk will be about the passing game and also the creativity that Drinkwitz showed with the play calling we mentioned. But one thing I thought was important in this game that's probably going to get overlooked, and you mentioned it early, LSU made no intention to run the ball early and then tried late and they couldn't do it. Yeah. Missouri Missouri's not going to wow you with their rushing yards in this game, something like 180. But they had three guys who had more than six yards per carry average. Larry Roundtree averages six and a half yards a carry. Um, you had uh, also Jalen Knox, who, who didn't keep the ball that many times, um, but, but averaged a very nice yardage when he did. And then also Tyler Beatty, who we saw, you know, really be used in the way that is great for Tyler Beatty to be used, doing a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, he catched some passes. He, he, he rushed five times. But – Again, averaged eight yards a carry. I thought Missouri, after kind of seeing them move a lot side to side in that game, that season opener against Alabama, they made a they made a way to get up and down in their running game. And they're not going to lean entirely on the run, but they're using it effectively to help kind of keep defenses off balance a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the key to that game offensively, they just didn't have any of those drive killing mistakes. They didn't have, I mean, they had fumbles, but I mean, the, in the so many game, fumbles <laughs> in the passing game though, they didn't, they didn't have yeah. the drops, you know, you didn't have the Tennessee. They would have a perfectly executed play where the pass blocking was great. Basilak put it on the money receiver was in the right spot open and dropped the ball. And those are, those are killers. And, um, you know, they didn't have that. And they had a bunch of guys that have never played this many snaps before. I mean, Deontay Smith, the junior college walk-on, 
he, I think the most he'd ever played was seven. He was on the field for like 53 snaps the other day. Michael Wilson, converted quarterback, has never caught the ball before. They moved him receiver last year because they had too many quarterbacks. And um, I don't know, they thought, hey, try him at receiver, see what happens. I'm sure they probably figured he'd transfer. What's he do? He goes out and just burns this secondary of five-star recruits for a 41-yard touchdown. Um, you know, Toski Dove, a guy that when he committed to Missouri, the question was, like, how do you even pronounce this guy's first name? Like, who is he? He's just an afterthought. He's never going to play. He had to play in that Arkansas game last year because they were, they were so banged up. Going into this season, nobody was really expecting him to do anything. He goes out there, and he was 4-4 against Derek Stingley Jr., who is considered the elite corner in the country. I mean, they threw to him four times with Stingley on him. He caught all four, I think three for first down. So, to me, I, I don't want to take away from those guys because they did their job. A lot of that's just coaching. It's, it's getting guys in the right place at the right time, uh, calling the right play quarterback getting them the ball and then just catch it then just catch the ball you don't have to do something fantastic after after the catch all the time because if you all you do is move the chains you give yourself a chance to to run to run another play and and then all of a sudden the running game starts working because the the defense now has a feels threatened by the pass so it all was working for for the offense for sure I would have told you if we would have, someone would have told us walking into the press box on Saturday that six different Missouri players were going to score touchdowns on a day where three of the top pass catchers were out, I don't think we would have uh, bought that. I also would not have bought that Missouri would have won the game when they fumbled five times yeah. in the game and lost three of them. Though, so that if there's a bruise on the apple, I think it's probably it's probably the ball security. Um, they got to get some of that short up. They got to learn about what their catches are on punt yeah. returns. Um, they, they got some work to do, and they're going to have more time now to work on some of these things because of the off week that we mentioned. We're going to dive into what's next for Mizzou and how that has changed. Right, We'll be right back after this quick break. Okay, Dave, uh, Missouri was hoping to kind of keep this good momentum rolling by playing Vanderbilt, the, the first non-ranked opponent that it would have faced um, in in this season, um, it would have taken them, you know, those first three games to get to someone who wasn't in the AP top 25. Well, now that that wait's going to continue because Florida will certainly be ranked when Missouri goes to the swamp after this, what has turned into a bye week um, because Vanderbilt's dealing with a lot of COVID issues. It's going to keep them from coming to Columbia on Saturday. You had the news yesterday and the fallout from it, it kind of seems like Missouri was, maybe understanding of the of the issue, but not real thrilled with how it was handled and how they came to find out there wasn't going to be a game on Saturday. Yeah, I think the SEC was, you know, they, they keep in contact with these schools pretty regularly. And, you know, Missouri was not surprised this happened because they were aware Vandy only had 56 scholarship players available for their game Saturday against South Carolina. And that SEC threshold is 53. Now you can play with 53 or less, but you have the option of not playing if you're, if you're under 53. So they knew this was a possibility. They just, Missouri just hadn't heard anything from Vanderbilt on Monday and then got word from the local bus company that handles the bus service for both Missouri, like when it goes from the, uh, the team hotel to the airport, wherever. And then it's the same company that uses that Vanderbilt would use when it goes from the airport to the team hotel to the stadium. The bus company alerted Missouri, hey, uh, Vanderbilt just canceled for this weekend. What's up with that? And uh, sure enough, they had because they weren't going to play the game. Missouri did hear from the SEC quickly right after that. Vandy has had a lot of administrative changes over the last year. They have a new AD in Candace Lee. 
Um, I think they pretty much got rid of their entire like media relations department. Um, so I give them a bit of a free pass here. They're dealing with some adversity right now, obviously, but just kind of speaks to how the communication isn't always great within the conference. But Missouri's not surprised. I, I think this work can work in Missouri's favor. They can catch their breath a little bit after that gauntlet of a start to the season. I mean, ideally, if you play a really good game, you'd, you'd like to play again, carry that momentum over. But now they get an extra week to prepare for Florida. And after that, Kentucky, a team that has had Missouri's number for a long time. And then another bye. So, you know, this sets up it sets up nice. I mean, this is supposed to be this punishing 10-game schedule, but now you've got some bye weeks in there. And also, it could – we don't know this for sure, but those players that missed the LSU game, this could give them a chance to get those guys back. And some of them would have missed the Vanderbilt game, just the 14-day quarantine. I don't see yep. how they couldn't have. So now you can get some of those guys back, including maybe some of the injured guys. And uh, it just gives you a chance to, to breathe a little bit, practice with your full team, which they – weren't able to do much at all since Trinkwitz has been here. So I, I think you've got to try to make the most of it. And now that Vanderbilt game's December 12th. Who knows what shape Vandy's in at that point? I mean, I think anytime you're Missouri, you should be wary of getting upset by Vandy because it happened last year. But at the end of the year, they could be 0-9 at, at that point. Maybe it's not a, a real scare. Yeah, it could be snow on the ground too in, uh, in Columbia for that game, which will be interesting. But for those who are wondering about Vanderbilt, LSU hammered Vanderbilt. It's its yeah. only LSU's only win. And now LSU plays Florida. So for folks who are looking for something to watch on Saturday instead of a Mizzou game, you get a chance to kind of see that LSU team that Missouri just beat go play. Um, I'm not sure where the game is, but they play Florida. So the Gators will be kind of a – you'll get a little bit of a litmus test there um, for, uh, for, for next Saturday's matchup. I'm curious about – if you think the depth chart by the time Mizzou plays again, Dave, will reflect some of the breakout performances that we saw with some guys out on, on Saturday. Well, you're not supposed to lose your job to injury. You're not, I don't, I think, does that apply to COVID too? Even if you didn't Drink have was, it. Does Drinkwist play by those rules? You were just in quarantine. What if you didn't have it? You just had to do it because you were a close contact. <laughs> I don't know, wide receiver. I think I would want to play Deontay Smith and Toski Dove some more. I mean, they just went out and did that. I don't care how bad LSU is. They caught the ball. And they were a big part of a win. So if yeah. any, maybe maybe they start and, and split snaps. It's not like Kiki Chisholm had been, you know, doing anything really fantastic where he, he's got to be out there for 70 snaps. Damon Hazleton had some good moments in the first two games. But, again, not like what we saw from these guys on Saturday. And they, they have a connection and rapport. It's obvious with Basilak. So I think you got to keep playing those guys. Yeah, I think maybe the rotation picks up a little bit. And another thing I think we're going to see more of is Sean Robinson in a non-quarterback role. Eli Drinkwitz made a point to mention Sean Robinson specifically after the game, yeah. which was kind of cool to see. I mean, here's a, a young man who's been clearly passed over for the quarterback job by Connor Bazelak's excellent play. But he was on the field for the first snap in kind of a, a trick formation. And then he kind of got his ankle rolled up on, so he wasn't playing much the rest of the game. But it sounds like Drinkwitz wants to find ways to use him maybe as like a wildcat quarterback or a, a potential receiver who has the ability to throw. What ways do you think we could see Sean Robinson make an impact on this team besides being a very supportive and helpful backup quarterback? Yeah, you know, I, I think if he's healthy, you got to find some way to use him. I mean, if, if, if the guy is good enough to start eight games at TCU, and if he's good enough to where they really thought he should have been the starter going into the season, um, and look at what the 
the other guy's doing right now, then right. he has to add some value to this team. And we're, this, let's not pretend like this is Alabama's offense where it's like, well, you can't take this guy off the field because he's a first-round NFL draft pick. They're still unproven to some degree. Um, and, yeah, I think if you, if you put together a package for him and, and roll out a couple plays a game where you think he adds some value, if anything, you'll just get the defense thinking about it a little bit and be a little worried when he's on the field. Uh, and also, you know, it, I agree with what – when Drinkwood said, gosh, he was the best teammate on the team last week. You don't just reward a guy with playing time because he's a good person. But in some ways, you know, I think that should count in some way. Hey, you're, you're part of this team. You know, you've been really supportive of Bazelak in this situation. Let's find a way for you to contribute on the field too. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm with you on that, and uh, and I think that if Drinkwitz has a guy who can bring something to the table, and and that player is invested, I think he will try to find a way to use him. I think we really see it, and I'll give you credit. You said from the beginning, hey, there's going to be some razzle dazzle in this yeah. offense, and we saw that big time on Saturday, and I think we're going to continue to see more of that. Dave, there will be no Missouri game on Saturday. We will not be together at, uh, at Faroe Field. So this is the perfect week to do our, our, our final segment of the podcast where you give us an SEC game that you're going to be watching. And this week, you really will probably be able to watch it. You won't be yeah. in a press box covering Mizzou. So there are some interesting games. I'm guessing you're going to pick that 8 o'clock game. Um, but uh, but maybe you have a surprise. What's the SEC game that you're most interested in this weekend? I mean, it's got to be Alabama-Georgia. And now now that Missouri and Vanderbilt is not, the rest of the nation can actually watch Alabama-Georgia. Because I know – you know that they were all – instead they were going to tune into Missouri-Vanderbilt. <laughs> but right. now they can watch number one against – I don't know what Georgia's not – I guess number two and number three. Number two and number three. These are the two heavyweights. Georgia right now – they look like the more complete team because they actually play defense. Alabama has not. I mean, they, they gave up a ton of yards and points to Ole Miss the other night. Um, so, you know, that game is the obvious one. I'll tell you what, I don't care who Ole Miss is playing. I want to watch them because that game's going to yeah. be entertaining. They put up so many points and yards, and they give up so many points and yards. I, there was a really good stat the other day. If you look at – and I don't I, – I can't remember who pointed out. But if you look at every yard that – Old Miss could have given up. So if they start on the if, – if the other team starts on the 25, the most possible yards that team can get is 75 yards. Old Miss gave up every possible yard they could have against Alabama except for one yard on a goal line, a goal line fumble. And then they – I think they punted once on like the 40. So otherwise, Alabama went length of the field, length of the field, length of the field, every possession except for two. That's how you end up with 700 and I think 23 yards or whatever. So – it's the worst defense in the country by far. It's one of the more exciting offenses in the country. So you know that, you know, it's going to be an entertaining game. Defense optional in, yeah. uh, in Oxford for sure. Um, quickly, though, before we run, what do you make of, of Texas A&M? That was a pretty significant win that uh, the Aggies got um, against Florida last weekend. Are, are they legit? They finally feel like they're getting some of their money back, money's worth of that Jimbo yeah. contract. Well, they, I think they further exposed Florida as another one of these teams. It's all offense and no defense. Yeah. Uh, and that's been kind of trending for a while now. But, yeah, I, I was impressive. I think that's one of those games that if you're A&M, you're Jimbo Fisher, you you got to win one of these. And, um, you know, he's making so much money. Kellen Mond has been such a hyped quarterback. That whole program, it seems, every year 
year after year after year, everyone's like, look at all these resources they have. Look at all these, this recruiting territory they have. Texas is down. A&M at some point has to capitalize and be a national contender. I don't know if they're that yet, but you don't get there until you win a game like they did on Saturday. And uh, if anything, it really ticked off Dan Mullen to see how many fans were there. And as soon as the game's over, he's talking about how he wants to have 90,000 at the swamp. So I don't know if that's going to happen um, by this Saturday. You know, Missouri goes there in, in two weeks. I'm planning on going to that game. I might have to wear – if they're having 90,000 at that game, I'm, I'm going to wear like six masks. So I don't know. Home, <laughs> no, you home, just break home. out what – you see that person who was celebrating the Lakers championship had in the streets of L.A., the, the actual bubble. He was yeah. like, it was like in a bubble. <laughs> wear a hazmat <laughs> suit on, inside a bubble with like 19 masks on if they're going to have 90,000 there. Uh, well, we'll uh, cross that bridge when we, uh, <laughs> when we get to it. Um, I had a lot of fun Saturday, man. It was fun to cover a, a big win, and uh, it was fun to kind of see Eli Drinkwitz put his stamp on this thing no matter where it's headed. So great, great coverage all week, and good, good job breaking the news and having the news of the, uh, of the, the game shift uh, for Saturday. Keep, keep it locked, folks, at stltoday.com for all of the all of the latest Mizzou coverage from Dave. We will do a podcast again next week, uh, even though uh, we'll kind of look more at Florida um, in that one, considering there's going to be a week off here. So we'll dive into Florida and what the Gators present um, and, and if Missouri can keep this thing moving with another upset. We'll do that next week. Until then, if you want to catch up on our previous podcast, stltoday.com slash podcast. You can go to iTunes, whatever you use for your podcast needs. You can find us there. Just search for I on the Tigers podcast. We appreciate you uh, subscribing, leaving us a review. Let us know how we're doing. For Dave, I'm Ben. We will talk to you next week, everybody. Have a good weekend.